How many of you have a certain, I don't know, stack of clothes somewhere in your home that are your, you know, you don't care if you get messy in those clothes clothes. How many of you have those clothes at home? How many of you husbands never seem to get it right as to which clothes you're supposed to wear to get messy in? Do you guys have a problem? No, no, no. Maybe I should ask your wives. Um, How many of your husbands have no concept of which clothes they're supposed to get messy in? My wife is raising her hand quite high. She's like, why did you wear that shirt? I said, because it was on, okay? And you can't always tell what what activities you're going to be involved in when you're wearing whatever. But, but, you know, I mean, I do have certain clothes that I wear to, to just, you know, do the work in. This has happened to me on multiple occasions. I'm sure it's happened to you. I have been in those work clothes and I'm doing yard work and I'm, I'm just sweaty and dirty and, you know, grungy. And then you have to run to Home Depot for something. You know what I mean? And so you just, you're just a mess. And, you know, I usually, when I have to go to Home Depot, I put a hat on, you know, and a fake beard so nobody will recognize me. And, and I go to Home Depot and I'm trying to not see people, you know, because I am such a mess. And then you just can't, you can't avoid it. It's going to happen. And I'm walking by and all of a sudden I'll hear someone say, Pastor? And I'll say, no! You know, and I just kind of keep, keep going on. The, the, the point is that sometimes people don't recognize us because we, we don't come as they normally assume we will. I don't know, I suspect that there were some that didn't actually recognize Jesus because he didn't come as they anticipated he would come. He, he, he didn't fit exactly the predetermined mold that, that they had assumed he was supposed to come. That they had all of these personal mental pre-qualifications that really were not the, the qualifications of Scripture. We started last week a, a series and a sermon that we titled Messy Church. And through the course of that, the first thing that we looked at was we are to be as a body of believers, both corporately and individually, separated, not isolated. Separated, not isolated. And then we began the second point and we spent some time talking about involved but not infiltrated, involved, but not infiltrated. In John chapter 17, verse number 16, the Bible says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Clearly, we are not to be like the world to reach the world. But this does not mean that we're not to do anything with the world. That is, I think, where we oftentimes find our dilemma. Okay, they are not of this world. Okay, so since I'm not of this world, I am not supposed to get anywhere close to the people of the world. The pattern of Jesus is something that was was left, obviously, for us to follow. The Bible says in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, a verse that we mentioned last week, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good. What a wonderful little expression. Jesus, he he is endued with power. And what does he do with that power? He, he, He went about 
doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. It's quite clear that Jesus taught the truths of scripture, but what is it that actually opened the hearts, the minds of people who were in the world? I think the order is really important. He went about doing good. And then what does that open people's hearts and lives and minds to? Who is this person? What is his message? What is his path? I don't see this normally among other people that I rub shoulders with. What is so uniquely different about him? And is that actually available for me? Now, now God help any of us and God help any church when we as, as members of that body in particular would so conduct ourselves that a person who knew where we went to church would say, I, I know so-and-so, I'm telling you, I definitely don't want to go to church there. You see, that, that would be something that would be inconsistent with the one we are called to represent. But Jesus goes about doing good. I think that very expression says there is something uniquely intriguing about him. And I'd like to know more. The Bible tells, helps us understand the same. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 24 says this. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Well, Jesus went about doing good. And now there's something that we're supposed to actually be, be stirring each other up regarding as well. And that is this very matter of love, which always precedes good works. You know, if you look at this, these, the, the words in Hebrews 10, 24, we first see the word provoke. And, and we oftentimes think this to be negative. It's like, oh, wow, that's provoke. You know, that's like poking somebody. The, the, the basic idea of this word means, come on, let's stir some things up a little bit. Let's, let's stir up one another. Sometimes we get a little bit nervous when when someone says, maybe a boss comes to us and says, hey, I'm going to change up some things for you. You're, you're going to be doing some, something you've never done before. Or we're going to change some of your responsibilities. And as soon as we hear the word change, oh no, our minds start to spin. We start to wonder what in the world I'm comfortable doing what I do. Comfortable. So, in Hebrews, we, we get this idea of, okay, now, sometimes we have to be stirred up a little bit. We have to have things mixed up for us in ways that remove us from our normal comfort zone. And so God not only does that on our, on our behalf, he actually invites us to do that to one another. And then when you look at the, the word works there, there's two words, you know, good works. If you look at the second one first, works, it just means what you think it means. Your toil, your labor, your occupation, your deeds. And then the first word of that two-word expression, good, it has a, a richer meaning than we might just, you know, connect with the word good. That, that word that's used, it means beautiful. Like, hey, hey, you should be involved in, your, your work should be looked at as like, oh, wow, that was such a, a beautiful thing for you to do. The word means virtuous, to have virtue. That means there's some, there's some usefulness about the act itself. 
A thing has virtue when it fulfills the purpose for which it was created. That, that's what makes something virtuous. If, if the pen that you take out and, and, I mean, you've done this before, haven't you? You've taken a pen out and you, you get it out and you're starting to write and it doesn't work. And so then you take it and maybe you go like this to the pen and then, or maybe you draw it in circles for a while. And do you ever lick the pen? How many of you lick the tip of the, oh, several of you. Yeah, we do that and we lick the pen and then we try to, and we try to get it to work. And if you can't get the pen to work, how many of you save it for some other potential use? How many of you just throw the pen away? It's lost its virtue. If the pen doesn't work, maybe you're going to find some other use for it, but not its created use. You, you and I were created with a purpose and our works are supposed to have some value. S- something that another person can look at and say, wow, th- there is something useful about that person beyond, beyond themselves." So we, we get the idea from the word work. Okay, my toil, my labor, my occupation, my deeds, m- the, the goodness connected to my works, that's beautiful, virtuous, commendable even something to be admired. Like a person could stand back and see this this series of events that took place between you and someone else. And even a bystander could look and say, wow, that's commendable. That's that's admirable. Wow, they, they just did a beautiful thing to someone who was the recipient of their good works. I wonder if someone just just as the casual observer of our lives and our interactions with one another. Our interactions, kind of like the the -the over-the-fence interactions with the neighbor. You know, their kids are doing this or their dog's doing that or their whatever is happening wherever. I wonder if someone is just like that, that unknown observer of our actions with others do they get some sense of, wow, that's commendable. That was good. There's some virtue in that. Even at times to the point where they might say, wow, that, that was beautiful. This is the idea of what it is that the church, believers in particular, are to be doing as we go about following the pattern of Jesus doing good. A.W. Tozer is an author that that I, along with many others, admire. I look into his writings and I find some some insights and and truths that I hold on to and that stir and challenge me. But Tozer not only wrote those those lofty, beautiful things, he also wrote at times those pointed, painful things. Listen to what Tozer once wrote. Something within the heart of the normal man revolts against the motion, revolts against motion without progress. Let me say that again. He said something in the heart of man revolts at the idea of motion, activity, without progress. In other words, motion for the sake of motion alone, but, but no progress connected with it. Yet, he said... This is precisely what we are offered in the vast majority of evangelical churches. Doctrinally, these churches are moving around a tight and narrow circle. Their teachers tell them that this circle encompasses all the land of Beulah and warn them of danger for, of looking for anything more. 
It never seems to occur to anyone that there is true joy farther on if they would only escape from the circle and strike out for the hills of God. Now, in, in, in full transparency, when Tozer's writing this, I think he's speaking specifically about the truths of Scripture. Sometimes we only park on those truths of Scripture around which we are all comfortable. And we can, we can keep rehearsing these truths over and over and over again. And, and we, all, we all amen them and we try to find new and exciting and fresh ways to present these truths around which we're all very familiar so I think he is, is saying, all right, now come on, let's go on to perfection. Let's, let's leave the foundational things, not abandon them, not forsake them. He's just saying it's time to go beyond those foundational things. You have the foundation built. Now let's build upon that. Let's build the walls and let's build the, the, the roof over top. Let's, let's fill in some things. So, so in all fairness and transparency, I think that that's the intention behind the quote. But I, I feel we do no disservice to the thinking when we say at times we are comfortable with our own organization. And, and all those things around which we can circle ourselves and find that there is a lot of comfort in what we know. Instead of saying, okay, Lord, we, we know this part. Now, what would you have us do? We, we have the strength of this foundation built. Now, where do we go from, from here? What's next for us? We must ask ourselves this. Does the gospel, and more specifically, campus church with the gospel, have the answer to man's ultimate problem of sin? Does the gospel, does campus church have the answer for man's ultimate problem of sin? And the answer should be a resounding yes. Answers for the murderer, the adulterer, the liar, the thief, Answers for the gender confused, for those who are attracted to the same sex, for the abused, for the abandoned, for the broken. Answers for the Democrat, for the Republican, for the independent. Answers for those who are angry about the loss of abortion rights, for those who are confused about the day, for those who are frightened about wars and rumors of wars. We often have, have many things here at Campus Church that are worth inviting people to. But the pattern left for us by Jesus was not primarily that of bringing people to us, but rather of sending us to people. It is wonderful when God in his good providence brings people to us here at Campus Church. That's wonderful. We see that happen and, and the Lord does it and, and we rejoice with that. But I think his normal pattern, that which he was presenting and leaving for his body, the church, was not just to be prepared for them when they come, but more accurately, he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go. You know, I, I just said, well, I want to make sure I understand what does the word go mean? And so looking up the word, it means to pursue the journey you are on, to follow, to become the adherent of another, 
okay. So, so what was Jesus' pattern again? Well, for God sent not his son into the world, sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus was in some way, shape, or form said, go from heaven, sent. That's what we are. We are the sent ones. Now, that verse is wonderfully easy to use at missions conference. It is so, I mean, what kind of a missions conference has never had go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, not referenced at least some point through the course of, of the preaching and teaching and, and messaging of a missions conference. But that is not just a wonderful missions conference verse. It's a verse for me. It's a verse for you. So do, do we say, hey, go to church? Yes. Go to church. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves, as the manner of some is. But, but there is also something that's supposed to take place because I go to church. That is, I am also to go wherever it is that God calls me to go. And, and again, that may be just like doing something good across the fence and maybe a series of something goods across the fence so that now I am developing an opportunity to be heard. I'm developing some inroad to the gospel so that I can actually not just show a gospel life, but say a gospel truth. This is this understanding of involved, but not infiltrated. Do you know the, the, the next thing as we start to think, what does this messy church oftentimes look like? Separated, not isolated. Involved, not infiltrated. Three, interested, not indoctrinated. Interested, not indoctrinated. John chapter 17, verse number 17 says this. This again, we, we, we find so much about what's left for us as far as our resources, our commission, um, what are we supposed to be focused on in this prayer that Jesus leaves for us, records for us, so that we can know his thoughts left for us following his departure. John 17, 17, sanctify them, Jesus praying to the Father, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. I think sometimes we, we become a little nervous and rightly so. Like if we become so, so um, continually focused on, on what, does, what does our presence in our community look like, won't we start to actually adopt some of the problematic thinking of the world. Well, Jesus says, sanctify them. Okay, we, we're familiar with the word sanctify or sanctification. It, it means that there is, there is some separation. It is set apart for. When we're sanctified, it, it, it is connected to this idea of holiness, separated. So he's praying Jesus, for his followers, for his disciples, keep them separate, sanctify them. Well, how is this done? Sanctify them through thy truth, okay? Uh, so, so truth is the thing that separates us. Truth has always done that. 
always. Sometimes we say, well, you know, we, we just have to, to love, love everything. And do you know loving people is not loving their, their position? It's not loving what they say is, well, this, if you love me, you know, you will accept. No, 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 no. I can love a person without actually accepting their sin to make a, a distinction, a difference. So he says, sanctify them through thy truth. Well, is there only one truth? Is there only one truth? In other words, can there be many different truths or is there only one truth? Well, there's only one truth, okay? Or truth is singular. It's not a many faceted thing. Um, um, Two plus two can't equal multiple answers. There's only one truth regarding this. So when we talk about truth, we're talking about something that's true for all people, all places, and all times. Sanctify them through thy truth. Okay, so I have to at least acknowledge there is something that's true and something that's not. That this is not, uh, boy, there's lots of different truths. No, there's only, there's only truth as comes from God. Well, then we might say, well, sanctify them through thy truth. Who's to say what truth is? I mean, I mean, who's to say that your truth is better than their truth is better than their truth? Well, the wonderful thing, the wonderful truth of the matter is we have a source of truth. And Jesus left that for us as well. He said, sanctify them through thy truth Thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. Do you know what we always have to remember? No matter how engaged we might become in the needs of mankind, we have to always come back to the anchor of thy word is truth. It's the only thing that'll give us any sense of stability in a world that is constantly changing. We, we are in quite a, a divided place today in our nation. Um, more so than at any time in the history of my life, we're at a, a point where the dividing lines are, are severe, quite deep. And there are issues that are facing us today that are, are not trifling issues. They're major issues. Our nation today no longer benefits from a common hub, a common starting point. So when you lose the starting point, anybody's truth is as valid as anyone else's. We've, we've had the nature and character of God as our hub, our starting point, but we don't have that anymore. So we're no longer this nation built on what we've always referred to as these Judeo-Christian ethics. Well, we were, we were founded on that, but today nobody, nobody acknowledges it or they, they refuse to, to acknowledge it or they say, well, it doesn't matter what we were. This is what we are right now. So we're all over the place. Obviously, we've had recent rulings from the Supreme Court that are incredibly uh, controversial, but shouldn't be. One of the signs that, that I saw held up was was abortion is a human right. And when I saw the sign, I, I just stood back and, and scratched my head thinking how, how far we have come in our thinking to say that abortion, the taking of a human life is a human right. It is, it is quite backwards thinking. Um, up is down and down is up and and, and light is darkness and darkness is light and, and truth is a lie and a lie becomes the new truth. We live in quite a world today. 
And it is a world that needs Christians going about doing good. Doing good. You say, well, well, I'm telling you, I'm ready to fight regarding this. Well, well, I find it at least interesting that Jesus told another who was ready to, to draw a sword and go fight with him to, to prison and to death. Peter, put up your sword. What's the pattern of Jesus? I'm acknowledging, I know, there may be things someday that we will have to fight for. I suspect, more importantly, there will be things that we'll have to stand for. So we just have to, as a church, while, while, it's, while it's, it's yet day, work. The, the night cometh when no man can work. We have still today opportunity to go out and say, hey, I'm, I'm interested in you. Now, you're not going to indoctrinate me. C- Campus Church, by God's grace, will, will always know what marriage is. We'll always know what gender is. We'll always fight for the value of life, both the young and the old. We understand that there is an unchanging truth. So by God's grace, Campus Church should always understand some of those unchanging foundational truths that we must hold on to, not to become indoctrinated. But that doesn't mean that there's not some interest in a world that has only one hope of resolving the problems of mankind. And that is in the second Adam in Jesus Christ. How is someone ever going to be interested in him if we are never interested in them? That's a good question. How will someone ever truly become interested in him If we are never interested in them. Well, we're to be interested, not indoctrinated. You say, well, well, he said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. We know we're to be separated, not isolated, involved, not infiltrated, interested, not indoctrinated. And then impassioned, not intimidated. Impassioned, not intimidated. With a passionate fervor, Jesus did all that he was sent to do. And his work was in part to reveal the character of God to man. How did he go about doing that? With a passion that is unparalleled. Do you know sometimes we, we, uh, we go about doing certain things and um, it is kind of like a ho-hum. Have you ever seen someone work at a job that you could just tell there is no passion regarding what they're doing? Have you ever seen it before? How many of you have ever caught yourself doing something almost robotically? You know, not because you're interested. It's just like, I, this I just have to do, you know, chunk, 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 chunk. That kind of just like, oh, I'm just kind of checked out. There was, I don't think there was ever this time when Jesus wasn't fully absorbed and what his primary task, his primary responsibility was. Please don't misunderstand this. Don't think that I'm talking about you always have to be going, you know, 150 miles an hour and you just, you know, I'm going to burn out for Jesus and I'm just going to, I'm not talking about that. I am talking about this like, wow, how can I do what he's asking me to do? What does he want and, and how, whoa, whoa, where does he have to start to inform my thinking in ways that I have not been thinking before? What is it that he has for me to do? What is it that he has for us 
as campus church to do. In John chapter 9, verses 4 and 5, Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Yes, true. But he's not still physically present here in the world. And so he reminds us, let your light so shine. There was no, when it came to Christ, I should, but rather I must. This was a non-negotiable for him. There was no, for him, no intimidation. There's no backing down. He pierced the darkness as the light of lights. He said, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Wow. You and I are built to be reflectors. This is part of the creation mandate. We are built to reflect the one who, who created us. We're supposed to be fruitful, even, even as the Holy Spirit produces fruit. We're supposed to be rulers, ruling over that which he has entrusted to our care. And we're supposed to be reflectors, reflectors of the one who instilled something of himself, his very image into mankind. Well, Jesus did this perfectly. He did the work that he was sent to do. And in John chapter 17, verse number 18, as thou hast sent me into the world, with a job, with a responsibility, and he did it. I have glorified thee. I've done all you sent me to do. Jesus says, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. Father, just like you sent me here, commissioning me to an end, to a task, to a job, a responsibility, in that same fashion, I'm sending them into the world with a job, a responsibility, a mandate, if you will. Other than your relationship with Jesus, there may be no relationship on earth that doesn't at times get messy. I suppose the only ones that don't are the relationships you never form. They're, they're much cleaner. <laughs> they're, they're not so problematic. They, they are, there's no frustration. They're just distant. We can give toward projects and that we do. And, and Campus Church, you, you give generously. We, we can promote and pray and all those things we should do. But I wonder how the Lord may be directing you and as the days and, and weeks and months and years as the Lord tarries, directs us. It may be that he is, is asking us to, to be prepared to get a little messy. It, it sometimes is like, oh boy, what do we do here? And how do we do this? And should we be? And and, and how are we supposed to, do, I, I, I don't have all those answers, but I know someone who does. And I also know that he is the one who has purposefully left us here in the world to not circle, so to speak, the church wagons, but to move forward with power and might and a sound mind to do the work that he has called us to do. Jesus, per the observation of others, 
did not live a life that was without challenge regarding relationships. He ran with tax collectors. He had meals with publicans and politicians, sinners. He was accused of being a drunkard from his associations. Questionable women sat at his feet. He was continually questioned about his motives for ministry. And through it all, he was doing all that the Father had sent him to do. May we be increasingly prepared to get messy and realize that in the process, we may look more like Jesus than we anticipated.